Welcome to the Rambling Ranger podcast, episode 16. My name is Luke Taylor, and today I'm joined by another special guest, the director of Lantra, Liz Baron Mierick. Um, how are you doing today, Liz? I'm grand, thank you. And thank you for asking me along. No, you're quite all right. Um, I'm very happy and glad to have you on, of course. Um, since 2019, I've um, been involved with Lantra and the Industry Champions as our um, previous guest, Annabelle, uh, talked about the Industry Champions side of it. But I was um, eager to get you on for this season of the podcast, really just to talk about, well, what it's like <laughs> being the director of such a, a, not just within Scotland, but um, of course your, your own role is within Scotland, but um, Lantra itself is obviously a, a UK-wide organisation, which I'd like to think certainly myself I'd never really heard of um, before being approached um, when I was an apprentice about the the awards side of it so um, I'm keen to kind of dive into that but uh, of course your background as well is in land-based um, so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of weaves into it and I suppose your philosophies now so uh, would you mind just introducing yourself? Yeah certainly so I'm the Scotland director for Lantra um, and Lantra yeah it's a bit of a complicated organisation isn't it? It's, <laughs> it is all of UK-wide and Ireland, and it does flex, I think, to suit the needs of um, the, the devolved nations. So uh, in Scotland, we do receive funding from Scottish Government um, to promote careers and skills opportunities and developments within the sector. Uh, in England, the, the focus is more on Lantra awards. Uh, they don't receive funding uh, from government to do that work. In Wales, uh, they're more involved with Farming Connect um, and food skills uh, initiatives that they're involved with. So in each of the, the nations, we kind of flex what we do to suit um, mm. so different projects involved uh, in the different nations. But it's a, a great organisation to work for, actually, and a fantastic team of folk with a really wide range of expertise. Um, yeah. From, um, again, a lot of their backgrounds are in a lot of these industries as well, which is always nice um, because, again, they bring the expertise to the role, which we'll touch on. And, of course, yourself has done exactly that. Um, you've been a director now since it was kind of when we met as well. And it was your first award ceremony, wasn't it, in 2019? It was, yeah. Just I joined just towards the end of 2018. Fantastic. Um, your background then? Uh, was in forestry, uh, if, I'm, if I'm right in saying. Um, I'm sure you've done lots of other things, which yeah. again, you're more than you're more than welcome to share. Um, but um, do, how how what came, I suppose, before this this role that you've got now? So I think originally I studied plant science. I've always loved biology and science, and yet uh, a land based career was not really recommended to me. Um, mm. So I had a bit of a circuitous route to this point. Um, <laughs> I've worked in a, in a few different places before, I think the next kind of relevant role, if you like, was taking on a lecturing role in Renes College, right. UHI, and I completed my PhD uh, with them as well, with the Agronomy Institute up in Orkney. Um, and I think what often happens within um, education, particularly when you move into a more management role, is you move around different departments. Mm. And, um, and when you're in management, you don't, it's not so important having an academic or technical background within that sector. It's more about enabling the, the staff within those areas to deliver the best experience or learning experience that they can do uh, for their students. And so having managed a few different departments, uh, sport, hair and beauty, science, computing, <laughs> maths, geography, aquaculture, 
moved to forestry and I must admit when I moved to kind of looking after the, the forestry school it felt like I'd come home right. it was um there was a lot about it that was similar in some ways to uh this the origins of STEM, uh, you know, all the STEM ambassadors yes. program yep. and learning. Um, STEM came into being to really challenge some of the preconceptions around um, the careers within that sector. And the more people I met within forestry, the more I got an understanding of the forestry sector, the more similarities I came across mm. the original challenges around STEM. Which was originally SMET, by the way. Did you know that? No, SMET. <laughs> SMET. I wonder and then, why I they changed it. Exactly. Somebody pointed out it was a bit like smut. So then it became STEM and obviously just flourished from there. So oh, that's um, I didn't know that. I must admit, yeah, STEM is one of these um I think more known. It's a bit like from my point of view as a as a um being an outdoors kind of educator, I suppose, in my ranger role. Um we we try and um tie up, I suppose, the curriculum for excellence is the main one with schools. And now we're starting to see more STEM type lesson plans and schools coming to us and saying, can we, is there a way to incorporate STEM? And I think that's a great thing. And again, it was one of these things I hadn't saw just until recent years being a big flourish of STEM focused learning. And I think um, what you can touch upon, how does that, I suppose that tie into the land-based industry part of it? Because it's it doesn't seem straightforward to begin with until you start breaking down how STEM actually incorporates into a role. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's two there's two strands to that. There's almost the approach that STEM took in order to to challenge some of those preconceptions, and so things like the the STEM uh, or the science festivals, the seminars that I ran back in Inverness, they were all designed to to present it in a different way. To challenge the preconceptions but also just to raise awareness of, of how exciting and how diverse those areas were so i think partly we can learn from that for land-based by just replicating the same kind of activities so and that is a lot of what lantra does and that's one of the reasons why when the opportunity to to be more involved with lantra came up that i i took that chance um and the other side of it of course is the STEM is, in, is required for a lot of different careers within land-based. Yep. So we've got a couple of exciting projects um, that we're working on on that front. So through the skills group for forestry and the skills group for aquaculture, we're setting up STEM ambassador schemes within those sectors. So you mm. can be an aquaculture STEM ambassador or you can be a forestry STEM ambassador. And that has always been an option, but it's been quite hard to find a forester within right, the STEM yeah. ambassador network. So, you know, if, if you were looking for um, a, a forester to come and talk to a primary seven class, for example, it, you would search for forestry, but that would only have, a, in the past few years, that would only have flagged um, profiles that had forestry in the job title. So yeah. if you work for forestry in Land Scotland, that would have been fine, hmm. but not if you work for Scottish Woodlands or Till Hill, for example. Yeah. So it took a wee while to get it established, but I think it's really beginning to, to have traction now and we're creating um, materials and packs for forestry STEM ambassadors or aquaculture STEM ambassadors that will help them if they do want to go out into schools. Mm. So my aim for the, the STEM ambassador scheme, both for aquaculture and forestry, is that every school can access an ambassador, mm. whether it's for talk, whether it's for one of their um, young people who's interested in finding out more about a career within that sector. Um, 
back when I was at the college, when we um, were involved in doing some research into what informed uh, career decisions, it was very clear early on that the young people that already knew what they wanted to do and had a very clear idea of it had almost always they, they could recall a story about somebody yeah. who came to talk to them. Yeah. So um, it was about that man who came and he did a gap year and he didn't know what to do. And they can recall the entire story. They can okay. never remember the name. They could never remember the company, but they could remember that story or that scenario. And that really stuck with them. And they could see themselves doing that. They could see themselves enjoying that path. And of course, every path is different. You, you can't just replicate one but it really stuck in their mind and it helped to keep them motivated and helped to give them a direction. And I find that one of the most important things that Lantra does is, is helping young people and not so young people, new entrants, career changers, um, all sorts, to, to find that right path for them. Yeah. And that that is really exciting. You know, it's I think it's particularly exciting when it's a young person and because it can be so daunting can't it when yeah. you've got to decide that one thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life and of course we know it's not like that you know the career paths can be very different but it can seem like that for a young person and it feels like they have to make one decision and it has to be the right decision yeah and that's horrible it's really daunting it's like the worst exam ever <laughs> what are you going to do for the rest of your life a horrible exam question to face um so helping young people to come up with options to come up with potential paths that that will be right for them is yeah that's a, a really rewarding part of what we do definitely. yeah yeah uh, and i've saw it firsthand and of course i think as you quite rightfully mentioned i'm i always have a bad habit of because i am a young person um thinking these opportunities and things are only for young people but of course lantra does encompass um, of any age as well as the awards um and yeah i think it's it's also a thing um that is potentially unique to our um, industries is the the crossovers between them which we've, we've talked upon in previous episodes but um how fantastic land-based industry is in particular because of you find a lot of again it's not that role you're always stuck in um take um uh, another land-based industries champion scott mason who's originally came from environmental conservation and a ranger role like mine and then is now in aquaculture running his own fishery like those uh, developments and changes and i think that's an important thing to highlight and is what lancha is doing as well as um helping them into land-based and then kind of Get, giving them the choice and giving them the tools to make up their own uh, decisions. Um, Absolutely, and I think I think actually the the mature entrance career changers are probably more um, bigger proportion within land based because it's something that you don't necessarily know about unless you have family working in that sector or if you happen to, to live somewhere where it's a particularly strong part of the local economy. Mm. Um, and that that can be a big challenge. And, and I think, you know, it's a bit symptomatic as well of some of the challenges we face during lockdown with people not using the countryside responsibly. It's just that they've been disconnected from it for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, and I think there's there's a lot of opportunity now to to re-embrace our natural environment and, and you can see it in the schools where they're spending more time outside mm. and more outdoor learning partly because of social distancing and it's you know, <laughs> healthier to be outside as well but I think too it's it's just been so important during lockdown when you feel that you can't access that environment you have a bigger appreciation of it um, so 
yes yeah, so, so a lot of, of what we do too is about helping people to to find I think recognition for the skills that they have and where they will be beneficial in other sectors that perhaps they might not have thought about so when, when I was up at the forestry school we used to get lots of people coming in from different sectors we had people who'd studied physiotherapy nurses accountants solicitors um, but then who'd just by spending more time almost always by spending more time within the forest environment just realized that's where they wanted to be and that's where they wanted to work and so it, it did make you know I think the teaching was quite diverse because everybody brought their different life experiences into the classroom but and into the the forest but um that's that helps that makes for a diverse sector so yeah. Oh, it does, and it's it's uh, in a lot of our roles. It's the experience you bring beforehand, like your own, then into the industry, and it, again, for a lot of people, it's in completely different backgrounds. Um, they've again done an entirely different career for X amount of time, and then now they're finally um, decided they want to to uh, immerse themselves in, I suppose, um, land-based industry, and that that's what they decide to do. And um, they're able to teach, I suppose, uh, and I've found uh, a lot of people that have been in it for longer <laughs> or have already been in it, and they're certainly bringing their own skills and things to the to the mix. Um, how has your background then, I suppose, helped you in your current position and um, kind of shaped your different philosophies and things that you've um, wanted to do as a director for Lantra? Yeah, well, I think um, I have, I did always enjoy teaching, um, but I think it, it eventually was more about communicating. So I, mm. I like communicating the, the different opportunities within the sector, um, but I've also liked problem solving. Um, I've always liked a good puzzle. That that's always been good, and I, and I think trying to solve some of the complexities around ensuring that the land-based and aquaculture sectors can meet their skills need is certainly you know a challenging puzzle. Uh, <laughs> yes. Hey, <okay>, first one. <laughs> I used to think the timetabling was a challenge, but uh, it's but it's an enjoyable one as well. And and part of the reason for that is that there are so many really interesting and knowledgeable people who all have the same goal and I get to work with them and, and that's that's brilliant you know that that's a a great opportunity um I think in terms of of my background and experience and my preparation for for coming into the role well I come from a very big family right <laughs> so uh, I've got lots of brothers and sisters and we're all completely different and we you know we all have to to find a way to live together and work together and, and I think that's that's a bit like land-based sector you know there's there's lots of diversity within the sector each sector is different whether it's farming whether it's aquaculture with the, the larger companies and um, they're, they're very much um, uh, focus on work-based learning for aquaculture mm. definitely um, and then you've got forestry every one of the the different industries within our sector is very different and requires a slightly different approach but at the same time there are overlaps or there might be practice that's happening within aquaculture for example that would be really helpful to solve a particular challenge within forestry so taking that learning in terms of the puzzles looking at how other people have solved the puzzle that they faced and then helping others to to come up with a solution that may take aspects of that but has to be ultimately tailored to suit them yeah, yeah that's that's really fulfilling and enjoyable part of my role definitely no, I, I really like the analogy you used there, and I think um, it relates so well to obviously, as you described it, the crossovers and the the um, challenges and the little things you have to tweak, but also can take from other industries and use um, in others. And I think, um, for, yeah, for me, one of the main things, I suppose, coming into this kind of 
um, well, just this knowing about all these land-based industries and what the other jobs entail. Um, I've kind of adopted, I suppose, the same philosophies in many ways that I think a lot of our jobs can learn from one another. And I suppose the people that you meet inevitably are the people that help shape and influence that. Um, and yeah, that's, again, another wonderful thing that I have enjoyed, uh, certainly with being a, a champion and being part of um, Lantra is, is, is meeting, as you said, a lot of these other people that either work for Lantra or just other young people that are in other industries, because, um, yeah, you, you're able to bounce a lot of uh, interesting thoughts and ideas off them and see actually their work and practice as well, which, um, depending on where you're held up in the country, I suppose if you're central belt or in the borders or in the hills, you're not necessarily going to see what's happening offshore anytime soon. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, it's a really uh, great thing. Um, speaking of which, then, I suppose, how is land-based industry changing or how are you seeing um, as being obviously overseeing such a large organisation and a large responsibility in Scotland, essentially? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a stronger priority on. Or, yeah, I think I think there's definitely been more of a focus on skills now, mm. whether that's to do with recruiting people with the right skills or developing skills, it, it can vary a little bit within the sector itself. Um, the, the industry within the sector. Um, but certainly there has been um, a lot more interest in um, promoting the individual sectors to new entrants and doing that in a collaborative way, which is fantastic. Um, but also around uh, CPD, um, upskilling, and not just around you know, the, the fun practical courses that involve machines or wellies or getting out and about into the countryside, but also things like, you know, managing people, the environment, business skills, there's been an increased interest in, in studying within those areas as well. Um, also around people who want to put a toe into the water. So there's been an increase in support for, for them as well, who are thinking about moving more into the sector. Um, but also in collaborative working between the different industries, which has been great. So yeah. for example, in rural talent, that's an initiative that's both agriculture and forestry hmm. and attracting new entrants into those areas. Um, it's been you know, fantastic to see the different leadership programs that are coming out at the moment as well within the different sectors and encouraging more women into the sector in particular. Yeah. So I think it's, there's a, I think that's always there's always been that interest there, but I think now the pace is really speeding up in terms of um, recruitment, upskilling, reskilling, and and working collaboratively, hmm. um, particularly between the different skills groups. Yeah, absolutely. And are you finding, of course, uh, during lockdown, you launched the um, skills matchmaking uh, making service to kind of pair people up that had potentially came out of employment into um, other land and similar fields or other jobs that suited their needs what was kind of the i'm interested to know this what was sort of the volume of people or uptake that actually grabbed onto that because i could imagine just with what it's been like a lot of potentially new people have now looked at an opportunity certainly within land-based yeah i mean certainly we got a lot of applications um application is the right word but certainly a lot of people came forward who wanted to support the sector work in mm. the sector and it was from quite diverse backgrounds so we had a lot of vet students um because initially the skills matching service was designed to make sure that businesses with animal welfare commitments could meet those yeah. should there have been an outbreak on their farm or their their charity or their site um what happened in the end was that i think because of the restrictions around travel they weren't quite as impacted as they could have been, 
but the service was there, which which was fantastic, and it yeah. was great to see vet students in particular come forward and, and sign up offering to help. Um, and there were a couple of cases where we we did need to make a match, and and those were successful for the the animal care side. And then of course, um, the as the challenges kept going in terms of restrictions, there was more. There was the the pick for Britain. And then we had the, the Prince Charles effect, which was <laughs> Prince Charles was on the television uh, that night, encouraging people to, to pick for Britain. And uh, we were one of the organisations that was registered on the site. And I think the next day our inboxes were just full <laughs> because so many applications <laughs> had come in overnight. I think um, I think we had to have a lie down uh, at the end of that day. It was quite intense, um, which, which just goes to show the challenges, of course, are around geography and around the accommodation so yeah. there were a lot of people who wanted to help but either couldn't travel weren't located near the businesses that perhaps yeah. were looking for help um, and that might have actually led to more challenges on the farm themselves with people going on and off site so i think it did highlight that um there were lots of people who wanted to move into either the land-based sector or into the more kind of rural industries but that there are still challenges around them doing that transition so whether yeah. it's accommodation whether it's um, the, the basic training and the kind of tickets as well. So it's great that we now have um, the Women in Agriculture Practical Training Fund, mm. the Women in Rural Economies Training Fund. So around addressing some of the lack of diversity within the sectors and increasing um, the amount of um, training that is available to, to potential new entrants coming in as well. Um, that's going some way to support that. You've got um, the Young Persons Guarantee, you've got yes. Kickstart, you've got all these different initiatives that are happening just now. So hopefully that will help um, to support that interest into coming into the sector in a maybe a, a less intense way <laughs> that, that was um, during the start of lockdown, but um, in a more supported and sustainable way. Do you think then, I suppose, after all of this, um, having said what you've said, do you think land-based jobs are going to be in more of a demand kind of coming out of this based on, I suppose, government priorities and everything aside, just general interest because more people are outdoors? I think so. I think people are appreciating outdoors more. Um, I think that the climate emergency, too, is mm. um, helping to, to fuel more interest. Um, I think that the, the increased... I think there's a bit of an increased move towards apprenticeships and or towards that practical experience too. more opportunities in terms of apprenticeships um, open to young people as well. It doesn't always have to be the go off to uni for four years and then you'll find out if a career in land based is for you. Um, doesn't seem to be the right way around. Uh, so I think those those will help. I think that um, that there's a definite, I think, support um, and the, the green economy and blue economy has that that profile's definitely been raised over yeah. the past few years and, and also through lockdown as well in the you know some of the positive effects that lockdown had on the environment um as well being quite palpable and i think when people see that you start to realize how much your own actions are impacting even on your local environment yeah and there's more a want to protect it more of a want to be involved and, and just be out there enjoying mm. the outdoors so we'll need more rangers. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, that does tie into um, the conservation aspect where I suppose even just through my organisation, SCRA, um, we're getting more than ever, um, certainly university students in particular, um, coming forward and inquiring about rules in the countryside. And I think it's 
for me anyway, and our last podcast would have been with um, the chair of SCRA, who had some really value, uh, valuable points on uh, the industry as a whole. But um, I feel like um, it's finding that balance between, I suppose, a more of a reactionary approach to this large volume of people coming to the countryside and doing what they're doing to then gradually coming into that um, educational approach and educating them beforehand, which is already what Lancia has been doing for a, for a long time. Yeah, it absolutely has to be the right approach for each of the different industries. And each of the different industries will have different trusted partners who really mm. get what the requirements are. So each is different um, and each has their, their go-to, if you like, when they've mm. got a, an opportunity or a vacancy. In, in agriculture, for example, um, there's a huge amount of pressure on a farmer when they're taking on a new person into their business. I mean, you think about the legacy there um, for their, their father normally before them and their father before them that might have been yeah. involved with that farm. And, and it can be quite a small close knit group as well. So taking on a new individual can have a massive impact on the business. Yeah. So of course, they, they really need to be able to trust that this new entrant isn't gonna disrupt what they do. At the same time, you know, it can be a big risk because the markets and the finance around all the land base can be quite challenging to predict. So um, there's we've worked very closely with the rings who've got a fantastic, flexible approach to training and they've got a whole load of new initiatives coming on there. In aquaculture, um, there tends to be more of the, the bigger businesses and um, they have the, the HR directors group, they've got their industry leadership group. And they're very, very dynamic, but very collaborative as well. Um, mm. And so they have um, all of the vast majority of their training is, is modern apprenticeships delivered entirely on site, um, supported through their own training programs that they run internally. So, um, which is different again from forestry. Um, yeah. So, so uh, sorry. You're all right. That's the ring. <laughs> it's just forward. <laughs> That's ring link on the phone. Um, so I'll put that on mute for just now. But um, so yeah, so we so we learn from the practice that's already there. We try and share best practice, but we wouldn't try and force one model onto yeah. any of it. It just doesn't work. And of course, you've got Nature Scott as well, who's looking at the the climate um, emergency and looking at the jobs that will help to fit in with that too. So there's there's a lot of different organisations which at first um, appearance might look to be working all entirely independently, but actually behind the scenes, you know, I'm seeing the similar faces on the skills mm. action plan for Real Scotland meeting or in the industry leadership groups. And actually there is a lot of sharing of practice happening within the background as well. It just has to suit that particular industry. Yeah, uh, I completely agree on uh, the idea of a blanket approach, certainly for our industries and how unique they are just won't work and uh, I think it's um, admirable that um, certainly Lantra, uh, the one that stands out for me, um, is kind of coordinating some of these aspects of collaboration between organisations which I think is a really strong and powerful thing um, as you said shaping these frameworks for industries and tailoring it to their needs and yeah you're quite right um, unless uh, certainly for apprenticeships in my experience a young person is kind of in a farming um, scenario um, 
given some level of understanding and training and everything beforehand and then obviously being put on this farm can help actually in that degree rather than just dropping a young person into this this quite close-knit as you said for a lot of these um, industries close-knit communities that haven't had to deal with I suppose outside or new work and everything else and I suppose we're gonna I think you'll agree start to see more changes um, in particular, again, agriculture from that passing down of generations and new entrants actually entering the industry because of a lot of the existing ones going to be moving on, retiring, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. And there's a lot of change coming as well in terms of machinery, new um, requirements around uh, the environment um, as well mm. when you're, when you're um, planning out your land management plans. And also changes in technology around connection and communication as well. I think that's also having a big difference. So, you know, just some of the, the seminars that have been offered online now, which will have you know, attendees from Canada, from Australia, which obviously wouldn't have happened in a face-to-face -face church hall in um, Lewis, you know, but now you can have people attending from, from you know, far afield. So that, that I think is beginning to shake things up a bit as well in terms of learning and, you know, making connections with people further afield but also you know sometimes those connections have been a challenge even locally that you know do you want to learn a new skill where do you go if it's not a college course where do you find access to that course or trainer and when you do find a course how do you know it's going to meet your needs so that's what we've been involved in as well with um skill seeder um a company that's developing a app that will allow people who have skills to share to register those skills so to register as a, a, a skill shader for example for lambing or for fencing or for caving you know for um, healthcare for it skills you know it could be for almost anything but yeah. once somebody's done that course they can then rate the course so then right. you'll start to build up more of a picture about you know whether it's going to be mostly hands-on or, or whether it's going to be more theory you know what kind of level it might be at and those instructors or those skill sharers as well can then also start to find out whether that's a career for them mm -hmm. to, to share the skills to provide training because there's going to be a there's going to be a big demand i think for reskilling for those kind of short practical um or even short intense theory courses over the next couple of years as the the economy adjusts yeah. to the huge impact that that covid has had so I think there's a lot of opportunity there. It's not going to be easy, um, but hopefully through technological innovations like the Skill Seeder app, which I think comes online end of September, October time, mm. um, that will also begin to have a big impact too in starting to connect people with the skills with the people that want to learn. No, that's yeah, it's a, it's a really I, I didn't know about it, but um, that's that's good to know. Um, and yeah, just the idea of I suppose that. Um, having the right setup and go-to thing for people, especially young people, to to find out, I suppose, what their skills match in regards to land-based jobs, I think is really crucial. And certainly with some of the other groups that I've worked with, youth groups and other panels and stuff, I think the most demand for young people is just being led in the right direction or having some setup that is able to point them up if someone, uh, because it's, it's, again, a lot of these things by chance. Myself, I met someone and that kind of led into my knowledge and everything else about the the land um, conservation rangering etc but if you never meet that one person then again you're never gonna you're never gonna find out about i suppose that wider picture um and it, yeah and it's it's as well i suppose it's also trying to to steer people away from 
trying to come up with a prescriptive route. Yeah. You know, it's not always about what you did, it's about the story. Hmm. Um, I used to always, back when I was teaching higher chemistry, um, I used to always say that if you can remember the story, then you don't have to revise because you don't revise the first Harry Potter film before you go into the second Harry Potter film. <laughs> you can remember a story and you can remember the story much more easily than you can remember a disconnected series of facts. The mm. story joins it together. And I think sometimes just explaining to somebody how you got to be where you are and what some of the key learning was on the way um, is much, much more powerful than, you know, a, a, a a root map, if you like, of how mm. you specifically got into that particular job. Um, yes, sometimes you need to go through the technicals and it can be about building CV, ex building your experience. It can be around how you write a cover letter. And those are all really important as well. But that story is what keeps you going. That vision yeah. of what it's going to be like when you get there, wherever there is, it's just really important. And I think sometimes we underestimate the impact that can have on a, a young person as they're coming into the sector. And through learning through stories, uh, I think it's another fantastic thing Mantra does is the whole case studies thing of having young people and people within the industry representing it. And I suppose um, uh, part of what I do, but all the other industry champions as well, is um, kind of if you've got, you'll learn more, as you said, from the story rather than facts and figures. You can look at a job description sheet, but if you look at someone that's done the job, you're going to get a better, you can almost envision yourself in that role um, and see if it's suited for you. Um, speaking of which then, um, how is you've already touched upon lots of these things but um how is um lantra interacting or engaging with young people um as an organization all the time <laughs> so <laughs> for example it could be through um supporting career events through working with dyw developing young workforce working through other agencies and and um sector specific organizations um we're, we're we're just making sure that we're available um, as well. So sometimes it's through direct contact and, you know, being part of bigger events specifically for these young people. And sometimes it's just being, you know, available on the end of a phone or through a chat online just to talk about, okay, so this is what you're interested in. Have you thought about contacting, for example, your local college or have, we know that there's a, a large business here that might be looking for, you know, or might be able to provide work experience, but also, what we do is try and help the sector to be ready for those young people coming in. Yeah. So it could be through um, the agricultural toolkit, for example, which was all about helping employers to know what was going to be involved if they did start to offer work experience or apprenticeships or you know, to, to recruit somebody um, through the, the pre-apprenticeship scheme. So there's, there's it's, it's kind of twofold, isn't it? It's attracting more people in and helping to guide people towards some of the opportunities, but equally making sure that the opportunities there are the best that they can be as well. So. Yeah. Um, speaking of which then, uh, pathways um, into it, there's lots of different ones, but I suppose, what are some of the key pathways you think for land-based industries? And I suppose your top tips for just people that are, um, for finding those pathways and entering into land-based industries. Um, well, the, the the best thing I think we can recommend to anyone is to try and get some experience. Mm. So, and I know it's not always easy, and I know there are challenges um, for employers as well when they're trying to offer experiences. But I mean, it could be as simple as um, providing some work experience, even in the office part of the business, um, just so that the the new entrant can get a feel for it. actually this is you know, the practical parts of this. I think are really interesting, so I'm going to you know, maybe work in that area. Um, and for the for the new entrant themselves 
getting some of that practical experience, seeing what the job is actually like, can be so powerful, can keep you going when you have to go through another two years of study. <laughs> that's It's worth it because I might get that job. Um, or it could be that it's actually the opposite and that you think, well, I enjoy it, but it's not really what I thought it was going to be. Maybe I need to find a, a different route into to my ideal outdoor career. And that can be just as helpful, particularly if you're doing it before embarking on the study programme, <laughs> so that you can adjust what it is that, that you might want to study and, and make sure that when you are studying, whether it's through a degree or a college course or a modern apprenticeship route, um, that it is the right route for you and that you're happy in, in that role. I think that's that's the most important, definitely, to get some practical experience, either through volunteering or to get some work experience through school. Um, and there are a lot of companies that will that will provide that. And the, the Kickstarter initiative in particular at the moment is designed to help support more work mm. experience opportunities with businesses um, that perhaps might not have been able to, to support somebody um, without that additional funding. So that, that's a great opportunity. Um, if you are still at school, highly recommend foundation apprenticeships. Yeah. Um, so that gives another taster for the world of work. Um, it's fantastic on the CV. Um, and it's, it's a break from school um, <laughs> because you get to go out and work, um, which sounds quite flippant, but is actually, again, very powerful because you, you get that sense of what your time is worth, which yes. can help with study too. It helps to focus the mind and, and, and get you back into it. And it, certainly I remember in the college, the apprentices were always the easiest to teach from in my area anyway, because they, they had the idea of, you know, this is, this is really important and my time is money because yes. you know, I'm working well and they'd get their heads down and they would ask the questions if they, they didn't know about it and yeah you know, all the students in my area were obviously lovely but those were <laughs> so no I'm, I'm certainly from obviously the background that I've got um a big advocate of apprenticeships and I suppose uh, I know apprenticeships doesn't fit all certainly all land-based industries and it doesn't fit all organisations and a lot of um, organisations that certainly cater for um, conservation, I know, just, just now don't have the, um, they don't have the capacity to support um, apprenticeships. Um, but in saying that, I think, as you quite rightfully said, just allowing um, these small opportunities on a monthly, yearly basis, however many times that is, I think can make a real difference, even in a small local uh, area. Um, and yeah, again, as you said, the apprenticeship thing, once you actually are an apprenticeship, you've got a, an apprentice, you've got a completely different mindset when you are studying at the same time, um, being in a class full of other students, it's, it's interesting um, to, to compare that, either just being a student to them being the apprentice and doing the job. And I don't know if you ever find this, uh, I suppose I haven't really thought about it, but I suppose an apprentice at college, in theory, is inspiring the other people in the class as well to get to not where they are, but also having an insight into the job firsthand because they're actually doing it. Did you find that at all? Oh, absolutely. And and also the the um, courses which had a year in industry. So, for example, with forestry, it was you did the first year of your HNC, then you go out to work in industry for a year and then you come back and they hmm. would bring back so much um, really valuable learning with them, which would be shared with the, the lecturers as well. You know, the, the lectures <laughs> always. Um, and you know, it would be interesting the different approaches that they had um, depending on the different organisations that they worked for. Um, so that that's always really interesting and, and it's really helpful to share that. Of course, not all apprentices 
have got time in college some of them are all entirely work based work based yeah um and that you know that that's all just a, a different model of delivery but one of the i think one of the powerful things about the albas not everybody who's successful in the albas is an apprentice it, it's a big yeah. a big chunk of the, the the finals but it's the it's the passion that they bring as well um and just the the enthusiasm i mean you could and the fact that they're happy to share that too by becoming you know industry champions and and supporting through you know talking to school peoples talking to, to parliament talking to 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 everybody really is that if you were thinking about choosing a career and you can look at the career flyers that we produce because you know you have to have that kind of information as well but if it's if the salary is not the thing that's you know particularly different between the different roles if it's not so much about the money if it's not so much about you know a, a particular area it's the passion that somebody has the confidence and the just sheer enjoyment that they can communicate about that role that will that will really do it and will help to convince a young person that that's the right path for them and that's that's another reason why um i'm so delighted to be um, working for Landra, so delighted to be supporting the work that my team does across um, all of Scotland um, and beyond, is that that's just so rewarding when you see mm. that happen. I, I can imagine so, yeah, and you're going to be seeing, I suppose, a lot of um, <laughs> people through your time as director going through, I suppose, things like the Albas and through all your partners and other organisations and I suppose the young people that are that are reaching out to Lantra and that are then becoming industry champions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you, you certainly probably know a lot of people now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, and it was just, it was brought home the other day, actually. I had, um, it was during lockdown, I foolishly asked my children, um, right, so let's just pick a lesson. What do you want to learn about? And then um, my youngest said, I want to know what dinosaurs smelt like. <laughs> okay. Um, and <laughs> oddly, through my time at the college, I knew um, a paleontologist who would know the answer and was still connected to them on Facebook. And so it was lovely that we could kind of connect and she yeah, explained um, a little bit more to my daughter as well. So, yeah, I think through time it has been it has been quite powerful sometimes just to stop and think about um, the number of individuals that I've either um, supported the curriculum of as they've been doing their learning or have spoken to directly about different career options and, and um, helped guide them to the right path for them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is very, very rewarding and it is very enjoyable too. It's not always easy, definitely no. not. <laughs> There's always challenges, um, but yeah, it's, I'm very lucky in the people that I get to work with and the, the sectors I get to work with um, and just the, yeah, the, the perks of the job are when other people are finding the right path for them. I think that's probably the most powerful. Of course. I know I think you shoulder and tackle uh, those challenges um, very well and certainly how you come across and um, I suppose being at the forefront of Lantra is uh, something to admire too, be that, um, um what's in store then for Lantra uh, in the future and um where where are you taking it where's Lantra just inevitably going itself what uh what what is happening and what um what I suppose do you foresee or would like to see with Lantra as an organization as well happening 
Okay, well, if I think back to a year ago, um, my, my aim was to travel less. So, you know, obviously that worked and aced that one. Um, but I think it is hard to predict at the moment. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I have, I think I always knew it, but one of the things that's been hugely demonstrated is that my team and the people that I work with are so skilled in adapting, innovating and flexing to suit what the sector needs. And I think more so than we thought possible. So I mean, this year we've administered training funds, we've set up the skills matching service, we've organised online events, all of which oddly seem a bit normal now, but certainly weren't part of the plans at the start of the year. So we've continued to deliver on the work plan that we have for Scottish Government. We've been involved with the kind of standard reviews that you, you might expect and, and the, the, the day job, if you like, has continued. But there's been a lot of other things that have come online um, I think moving forward, some of the sectors that we deal with are, I mean, they're not huge in terms of numbers of potential new entrants, but actually they're crucial in terms of the importance of those sectors. And there are perhaps economies to be found by working collaboratively, even slightly beyond Scotland. So working yeah. with the skills in England, working with colleagues in Wales. And I think that that's definitely easier when you're working online. To, yes. to find ways to, to collaborate and work together. Um, and so hopefully I'd like to see that continue um, into, into the next year and to, to share, I think sharing resources in particular, it brings you that economy of scale. Um, and we do face similar challenges, even if the education systems might be completely different. <laughs> um, the actual skills, the actual jobs that people need to do are very similar. So it's, I think there's, there's a lot that will happen over the next year in terms of collaboration. Um, I think technology and the environment will be much stronger themes moving forward and we've got some exciting projects that we're working on with uh, Zero Waste Scotland and um, Skills Development Scotland and College Development Network on um, resources that will help apprentices to you know, work towards achieving core skills, essential skills, but at the same time working on the understanding of sustainability by taking part in projects to reduce um, perhaps the carbon footprint, their energy use, um, resource use, waste. Um, so I think that's going to be exciting too. Mm. Um, and of course, we're currently administering training funds for women in agriculture and women in the rural economy. And I'd like to see, I'd like to think hopefully that that will continue into the next year as well to help yeah. to address the, the, the skills and balance um, and to, to attract uh, more people into the sector because it is a great place to work we need more people um, and we need a diverse range of people because sectors or businesses that are more diverse are so much better at problem solving they are they can attract a bigger audience or a bigger customer base because they understand a more diverse set of customers so it just makes sense really and um, so part of part of our role as well over the next year is to to make sure that we fully understand any barriers or perceived barriers that might be there and make sure that we address those so that we can have that workforce that we need. Yeah, I, I look forward to, to seeing it, um, being a part of it. And as you said, um, uh, just seeing new people and what potentially is going to be this rush of new interest in the industry. 
how um, organisations across Scotland are going to deal with that, and obviously, and uh, specifically how Lantra is going to uh, deal with that. But um, I have I have um, a lot of faith, and uh, with everything that you've just described to uh, today, I think land-based industries are certainly they're they're in the right hands, uh, if you will. Um, and yeah, I think it'll just take its course, whatever way that will be. But hopefully, we'll be able to shape it in the right way. Um, yeah, no, thank you for sharing your your stories and. Um, yeah, just um, giving us a little bit more insight into Talantra as a whole. Um, is there any, I suppose, resources, places you'd recommend people to go check out? And obviously, where can people find out more about Lantra Scotland? Okay, well, as a not so young person, I would go to the traditional, use the website, um, and work through the news section first, I think, probably, because that's where um, you'll get a feel for the, the new developments that are happening. But of course, also, there's our social media, so Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, we're on all of those. And um, the YouTube channel actually as well. There's a lot of um, lot of case studies on there, but um, more information as well, um, mm. which is worth having a look through too. Awesome. Well, um, yeah. Thank you once again, and um, yeah, I look forward to seeing you. Uh, obviously, the albums have just been all done digitally this year, but. Um, Hopefully I'll see you before then, but if not, I'll, <laughs> depending on what happens and everything else, um, I look forward to in-person Lantra events uh, to come. Pleasure speaking to you.